Well, good morning, Sovereign Grace. You would turn with me to Genesis 6-9. Today we begin a new section in the book of Genesis. One that goes from 6-9 through the end of chapter 9. And so we will be considering this whole section together over the next number of weeks. But look with me there at Genesis 6, 9 through 22. I will read the word of the Lord and ask God to illumine it so that we might understand it and love it. Genesis 6, 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we ask that as we hear, consider, think through this revelation that you have given the hand of Moses to your people by the superintendence of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illumine our hearts and minds, that you would cause us to understand your word, to repent where we need to repent and to rejoice, strengthen our faith, give us more grace. Help us to understand this story of Noah that is a history of redemption in a nutshell. Help us to see that and give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, during the week that Jesus was to be crucified, he issued 
this warning about the final judgment in what is called the Olivet Discourse. Jason read from it this morning, but I want you to hear it again. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus then goes on to say, Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I want you to note just three items here in what Jesus says as we get into this passage in Genesis. First, Jesus says he will return and bring cataclysmic judgment with him, just like in the days of Noah and the flood. God will not abide our sin, unbelief, and rebellion forever. He is holy and righteous. Judgment is coming. Second, the world will be, if you will, utterly caught off guard. He is coming at an hour we do not expect. The world will be living as if there is no God, no judgment, no recompense for their sin. God is patient and long-suffering. That is true. That is why the wicked still draw breath as we speak. But do not confuse the Lord's patience with tolerance for sin or affirmation for sin. Third, Jesus exhorts his disciples to be ready for his return. When he comes back as the king of kings, the judge of the living and the dead, who will cut down all his enemies with the sword of his mouth and trample them all under his feet, Jesus is coming and he will bring his recompense with him. And Jesus warns us to be ready for that. Be ready for that. So how do we prepare for that coming global judgment? How do we stay alert for the return of Christ? How do we ready ourselves for that great day? Well, this morning we're going to learn from Noah how to prepare for Christ's return. Now, children, I want you to listen here. Children, the Lord is speaking to you too. You may be young. You may be a young adult or teen even. Thinking that I just have no time to think about the end of the world because I'm so much at the beginning of my life preparing to live my life as an adult that I don't have any time to think about this. But you need to understand that you have to repent of your sins Trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, just like your parents do. And you have to prepare for the future, just like your parents do. You might think, I'm already preparing. I'm in school. I'm getting an education so I can develop my mind to take captive all these thoughts to the obedience of Christ. Or I'm playing sports so I can develop my body 
so that I can control my body in the way I use it so I can use it for what is good. I can develop coordination and strength, etc. You might think I'm learning music and art so that I can develop a taste to love what is beautiful. And all these are preparing you to face the world around you as an adult. Further, you have so much extra time for play and recreation so that you get to enjoy God and his good gifts in those things. However, you need to understand that you also, children, you also need to prepare for the return of Christ. You need to prepare for eternity. We don't know when he's returning. And the most important end that you can prepare for is not life in this world, but life in the world to come. So this morning we're going to consider how Noah prepared for judgment and thus how we should prepare for the same. In doing so, we're going to look first really this week at how God prepared Noah for judgment. In other words, part of my answer as to how Noah prepared for judgment is to begin with how God prepared Noah for judgment. That comes this week. And next week, we'll consider how Noah prepared for judgment. So we're going to look at the same passage two weeks in a row. You knew when I started reading and finished reading, there was no way I was finishing that all in one week. So we'll look at it over the next two weeks. And as we're considering Genesis 6, 9 through 22, I want us to consider it in two ways. We're looking at how the story of Noah is a type for the whole story of redemption. And we're looking at how the story of Noah is an example for the whole of God's redeemed people. We'll look at how God prepared Noah this morning. So let's look at that. How God prepared Noah for judgment. Remember, this is a story of God preparing Noah for judgment. And it provides us a type, a picture of the whole gospel story. This is the story of salvation in Christ in a nutshell. So let's consider that story. Look at Genesis 6, 9 through 10. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, we're going to come back to these verses a bit more, especially next week. But for now, I want to make two observations. The first observation I want to make is we are beginning a new section in Genesis. How do we know that? Because Genesis is a book that is arranged around genealogies. And notice the phrase in verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of Noah. We're being told, here we begin a new genealogy. And here's how the pattern tends to fall out in Genesis. There's a genealogy. And then after the genealogy, there's a narrative about that family story. And then after that, there's kind of a preview of the next story. And then a new genealogy. So look at Genesis 2-4. I just want to remind you of this. I've shown this to you multiple times. I want to remind you of this so that you don't forget the pattern. Genesis 2-4. Genesis 1-1 through 2-3 is like the prologue to Genesis. But now we get into the first generation here. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And now we hear the story of the heavens and the earth 
as told through Adam and Eve in the garden, their fall, the curse, the promise God makes to them, even on through their first three sons. So remember Cain and Abel and then Seth. When we get to the story about the birth of Seth at the end of Genesis 4, we get a preview of what's coming in the next genealogy. So look there in Genesis 5, 1. The next genealogy. This is the book of the generations of Adam. And now we're going to hear the story of Adam told through the godly line of Seth, his son. It's a story of Adam as told through the godly line of Seth, the son. So you get a genealogy all the way through chapter 5, which concludes with Noah, and then you get the story of that time where the sons of God and the daughters of men intermarried and the world descended into wickedness. And in the midst of that story, you get a preview for the next story. You're told that in the midst of that wickedness, God saw that it was wicked And God decided to make an end of all flesh. So you get a preview of the next story. And then in Genesis 6-9, you get the next generation or genealogy. These are the generations of Noah. Now, where does this story end? Look at the end of Genesis 9. So go all the way to Genesis 9 and verse 28. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Now, here comes the next story, Genesis 10.1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now you're going to hear the story of Noah as told through his sons. You're going to get our genealogy, and then in chapter 11, you're going to get their story, i.e. the Tower of Babel, and then on to the generations that lead to Abraham which we'll come to later. So that's the first observation. We've made a leap into a new section of the story in this genealogy. Now let's make a second observation. Noah is being compared to the surrounding world. If you notice, Noah was a righteous man, 6'9". Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He's being contrasted with the world around him. He is righteous. He is just in accord with God's law and blameless. He is without hypocrisy. He walked with God. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament says he pleased God, which is the language picked up in Hebrews 11. We'll look at all that next week. He pleased God. He had communion with the Lord. He was emphatically distinct from the world around him. They were far from God. They displeased the Lord. They were unrighteous lawbreakers and hypocrites. And Noah, this one man, was a godly man. Now, how did he become? How did Noah become a godly man? How did he become so distinct from the wicked generation around him? Well, that leads to our first point regarding how God prepared Noah for coming judgment. How did God prepare Noah for coming judgment? The Lord covenanted grace to Noah. The Lord covenanted grace to Noah. 
Before Noah was even born, we're told, or at Noah's birth, we're told something about what's prophesied regarding Noah. In other words, something the Lord is prophesying through Lamech, his father, about him at his birth because the Lord decreed before the foundation of the world that this is the kind of man Noah would be. So look over at Genesis 5 and verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, here comes the prophecy, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief or rest from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. We have a prophecy at the birth of Noah that God is going to set him apart as a godly man. This is what the Lord decreed for him. Look at Genesis 6. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is a contrast between the wicked people around him. And that word is Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God was gracious to him. The Lord chose to be kind to him. The Lord set his electing love in Christ upon Noah before the foundation of the world. The Lord promised that there would be a seed of the woman who would crush the head of Satan. And the Lord said the seed of the woman would have a people as well, a people opposed by the world of unbelievers. And the Lord chose to bring that seed of the woman through Noah. In other words, the Lord covenanted grace to Noah. And we see that worked out in Noah's life. God showed grace upon grace to Noah. And we'll see it worked out in his life, and we'll spend more time on that next week. But, beloved, do you understand that God loved you before you were? Have you ever stopped to consider That in his glorious goodness, he set his redeeming love upon you in Christ before you were even a twinkle in your mother's eye, before your mother even existed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. But how do I know If God has chosen to extend these blessings of his love to me. How do I know that? Well, I guess the question I would ask you is, has he opened your eyes to see the gospel of God's grace in Christ? Has he opened your ears to hear Christ speak to you? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In other words, has he given you the gift of faith? I mean, you all likely know about the facts regarding Jesus' incarnation, the Son of God taking humanity to himself. 
his birth. You probably know about his ministry, his life, his death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. You've likely heard those facts, and you might even agree with those facts. You might even have heard that the doctrine associated with this, that he did this for you and for your salvation, and you might think, that's great, but do you know that this is for you? What I'm saying here is that when the elect hear this good news, they respond, even me, Lord? And the Spirit bears witness to their hearts, even for you. The Lord takes even you to be his own in Christ. Now you might reply, oh, I want that grace, but I'm a sinner and I've made a mess out of my life. Surely God wouldn't give such grace to me. Friends, if you have heard the sweet sound of God's grace to you in giving his only begotten son for you, and you have, like a beggar, held out an empty hand to receive him, then God has shown the same grace to you that he has to Noah. Yes, this gift of faith is necessarily followed by repentance for our sins. It's also necessarily accompanied by the gift of hope in Christ that my soul really and my life is anchored in Christ with him in heaven. And it's accompanied by the gift of love toward God and neighbor. So my heart begins to rejoice in his law. And we'll talk more about that next week. But please hear me. All these are gifts of God's grace that flow from. They flow from, not that lead to, are being united to Christ through faith and by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, he loved you in Christ before you were. Before you were. This ought to cause us to sing of his grace. Your grace, a well too deep to fathom. Spelled with two O's, by the way. Too deep to fathom. Your love exceeds the heaven's reach. Your truth, a fount of perfect wisdom. My highest good and my unending need. So first, God prepared Noah by covenanting grace to him. The second way God prepared Noah was that God spoke his word to him. Now, what I mean here is that God spoke good news to Noah of how he and his household could be rescued from certain coming judgment. This story of Noah's family being rescued from God's wrath is a type of the redemptive story of the Bible. A type is a picture of something even greater. I can tell you, children, you understand what types are. If your parents say to you, we're going to take a vacation, we're going to go to Hawaii, and they bring out pictures of Hawaii, you know that that photo of Hawaii is a picture, not Hawaii itself. You know that. You know that they do not mean our vacation is going to be us sitting here looking at pictures of Hawaii. Now, some of you might be saying, that's the only trip to Hawaii we can afford. That's fine. But you understand that, children. You know the picture points forward to an even greater reality. 
Well, Noah's story of being rescued is a type that points us to an even greater fulfillment of redemption in Christ. So let's briefly consider that story in three movements. First, God saw the wickedness of the world. God saw the wickedness of the world. Look at Genesis 6.11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. This is a remarkable text. And God saw the earth. And behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God created the world and all that is in it. And you might remember his declaration in Genesis 1.31. God saw everything that he had made. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Now you're getting an opposite declaration. God saw, God saw the earth. And behold, it was corrupt. Moses wants you to see the contrast. It was corrupt. Man had corrupted the earth. Literally, man is destroying the earth. He's wrecking it. It is filled with unbelief, ungodliness, rebellion, violence, and all manner of self-destructive behavior and behavior that destroys others. In other words, it's not unlike the world around us today. Second thing you need to notice is that God spoke a word of judgment upon the earth and salvation or rescue for Noah's household. Look at Genesis 6.13. And God said to Noah, so now God's going to speak. This is God's first speech to Noah. So we'll look at this speech today and next week. The third week, we'll look at the second speech. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah. It's the second speech. This is the first one. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them behold i will destroy them with the earth it's fascinating god is going to destroy the whole earth and the play on words here is interesting there's sort of intentional pun built in here it's as if god is saying you want to destroy my creation with your wickedness well let me finish the job now look at genesis 6 14 through 18 Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Roughly 450 feet. Its breadth, 50 cubits, roughly 75 feet. And its height, 30 cubits, roughly 45 feet. Make a roof for the ark. And finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh and which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So God commands Noah... To build an ark and to cover it with pitch. And we'll look at this a bit more next week. But what I want to point out today is that as Noah builds this ark, that word for ark is covered with pitch is the same language we see in Exodus 2. 
In fact, the word ark is only used, this word is only used twice in the Hebrew Old Testament, once here and a second time in Exodus 2 with regard to Moses' basket that he's put in on the river. It's also called an ark. Just after Pharaoh, if you remember, begins to cast all the young Jewish males into the water and drown them, we see Moses' mother make an ark to place Moses safely in the water. It's the same word. The word is, most scholars think, is likely an Egyptian loan word that means something like a box. A word that is also used, interestingly enough, for a coffin. In fact, the dimensions of the ark are about 450 feet long and 75 feet wide. Very rectangular, long and narrow. A description that looks much like a coffin. The description is not like that of a seagoing vessel, but like that of a giant coffin. It's probably not the picture you want to put up in your kids' rooms. And Noah boards this ark and enters the waters of God's judgment. And he comes safely through those waters. First Peter later compares going safely through the floodwaters of God's judgment. He later compares it to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now please hear the type of the gospel. We have a wicked world about to be judged. And God speaks. And God sets apart a righteous man. A righteous man who will enter those floodwaters of judgment in an ark akin to a coffin, and that righteous man will come out of those floodwaters safely, picturing a kind of resurrection from the dead. Through this man, God says, I am establishing, or I will establish my covenant. This does not mean that God is about to start another covenant with Noah here. He will start a covenant with Noah in Genesis 9. This, I will establish my covenant, means that God is making good on his covenant promise. This language does not mean he's starting a covenant. It means there's a covenant that exists he's making good on. He's making good on his covenant. His covenant promise, his covenant of grace, which began in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will come and crush Satan's head and redeem humanity. But if the Lord wipes out all of mankind, then there are no humans left through whom to send the seed of the woman. And so he covenants with Noah to establish, to make good his word, that the seed of the woman will come and save humanity. A blessing he's given to Noah. Now look at Genesis 6, 19 through 21. I want you to see this imagery go a bit further. 6, 19 21. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. If you remember in Genesis 1, we established this kind of their taxonomy, the parts of the animal kingdom for them, if you will. And it goes on to say, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. In other words, the Lord is going to bring them in. You notice that? It's passive. They're going to come in to you. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. 
it shall serve as food for you and for them. Now, this is an interesting set of details. Noah is to bring two of each kind of animal into the ark. He's to make food provisions for the animals and for his family. So here's a question. Why? Well, because the Lord is bringing a type of a new creation after the flood of judgment. Noah, like Adam in the garden, is going to live at peace with the animal kingdom, exercising dominion over them. And a new creation will be established through this. These animals are given in twos, male and female, so they might mate and reproduce. Fill the earth. Beloved, hear the picture. Hear the picture. The righteous man, Noah, will go into this coffin through the floodwaters of God's judgment. God will remember his covenant, Genesis 8.1. And the waters will part, and he will come safely through them onto dry ground. Experience of a kind of resurrection. And through this, a new creation will begin. Paul says the whole creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation waits for the great day of our resurrection in Christ. Do you see it? Christ, the only truly righteous man, endured the floodwaters of God's judgment for our sins upon the cross. Christ came through that death safely in his resurrection. Christ ascended the throne and poured out his spirit so that we will all be carried safely through death to the resurrected new creation in him. Now, if we believe in Christ, we're already a new creation in him. If any was in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. But we still live in this Old creation. This world is still carried away with wickedness and debauchery. The world is still living with no sense that there's judgment coming. The world is still living as if God's patience is permission. Or even worse in our current day, as if God's patience is affirmation. And we still live in that world. And we still struggle against that old creation body. We are still waiting for the Christ to return and bring final judgment and the resurrection of our bodies so that we can enter the new heavens and new earth. If this is how God prepared Noah, then how did Noah prepare? Well, we're going to look at that next week. We're going to look at how Noah prepared next week. For this morning, I just want to provide you with this answer, just in short form. I'm going to tease this out next week, but... Noah trusted the Lord and his grace. Noah trusted the Lord and his grace. And Noah's faith in God's gracious promise was answered with Noah's justification. Through the grace of faith, Noah was forgiven his sins and declared righteous before God. What's more, the Lord graciously made Noah new and gifted Noah with an eternal hope in God and an abiding love for God and neighbor so that we can hear a refrain like, Noah was a righteous man, Blameless in his generation, he walked with God. And in the last verse of this text, Noah did all that God commanded him. So here's the question. Are you trusting in Christ? 
Have you cast yourself upon him? Upon the mercy of God found only in him. Have you not only agreed, i.e. assented to the fact that Christ died for your sins and rose for your justification, but have you placed the weight of your immortal soul on him into his saving care? Have you seen your sin as rebellion against our holy God and repented of it, turned from it? Has he given you a new heart so that you suddenly have this newfound desire to keep his word? If not, I exhort you to look to Christ and be saved. If you're a believer, then rest secure in him. Rest secure in him. Know that Christ went through the floodwaters of judgment for you, and he brought you safely through with him. Eternal life is yours. Eternal life is yours. Set your eyes on your eternal hope with Christ in heaven. If your eyes are set upon him, then you can sing with us. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for the kindness that you have shown us in Christ, for the picture that we have in the work that you did in history through Noah. We pray that you would prepare us for the return of Christ and that we would likewise ready ourselves beginning with casting ourselves upon Christ and trusting him and him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.